You're about to get insider access to cannabis industry experts, entrepreneurs, activists, and living legends. Meet the people who live and blaze this life every day and are about to change the world. Now your host, the founder of Blazin Bakery, New Jersey's first edibles company with over a decade of national advocacy, sales, connections, and adventures behind her. A true trailblazer in cannabis. This is Trailblazing with Tiramisu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trailblazing with Tiramisu, the podcast where we try to put the fun back into cannabis while sharing a little insider wisdom and chatting with some amazing guests. All right, today we have a New Jersey cannabis rock star. Um, if you Google someone kicking ass in cannabis in New Jersey right now, uh, Scott's name will probably be the first result. <laughs> he is the president and founder of the New Jersey Cannabis Association, the state's first and largest cannabis trade organization, which is also the one I've had the absolute amazing experience of helping him run. Scott is a former state assemblyman and was the mayor of Medford and has been working in government affairs for over two decades. Mm. Uh, he speaks regularly at events across the nation about cannabis legalization. And like me, he wakes up every day and fights for our patients and our rights as Americans to safely consume cannabis. He is a Republican, but yep. pro probably the coolest one I know, so don't hold that against well, him. You only know two, right? I mean, so. I only know two, and the other one's an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, my friend and mentor, Mr. Scott Rudder. Mm, hey, thank you very much, Tara. I'm glad to be here. You're welcome. All right, so um, I did say I want to dig into some of the things you talk about less, but it might just be because I hear you talk so often. But um, so a, a story I like, and you could say whatever you like. How'd you come up with the idea for NJCBA? Well, actually, it 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 was born out of a visit, right? So we did a trip. Uh, I was on so Senator Nick Scutari. He's the the main champion, and has been for the past couple of decades on cannabis legalization, both for for patients and adult use. He had a delegation trip where he went out to Colorado and he invited uh, members of the Senate and the assemblies, uh, Republicans, Democrats, and some industry folks. Um, he invited me to go along with him. So we went out there. It was October. It was actually uh, right around now, three years ago, quite frankly. It was October of 2016. Uh, and we went out there, and I was really curious about it. I mean, it's something I've been following. You know, when I was in the legislature, we had the vote on medical cannabis. Um, There's a lot of controversy back then, and it, it, it passed by um, just a, a, a very small margin. Uh, even Governor Corzine, who signed the bill, he signed it on the very last day of office. So, you know, just to let you know, like in 2009, it was very controversial, but fast forward. Oh, isn't that like typically what they do? They try to put a bunch of things they wanted to do on the last day and then sneak out. Yeah, 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 right. But it's something <laughs> okay. he, but that was an issue that could have been done a year ago, a year prior and all that stuff. But he's like, he, although we signed the bill, he reluctantly signed the bill to your point, like on the last day. So um, anyway, fast forward here, there we are. It's, it's 2016, it's October. Um, delegation trip out to Colorado. I mean, we met with their division of taxation, Department of Health, law enforcement, their elected officials. We toured facilities. You know, I come from a, um, a high tech background. I worked for Lockheed Martin Corporation for nearly 15 years, and uh, you know, very high tech stuff going on there. There's a lot of precision, a lot of quality control goes in there. When we toured these facilities, I mean, we had to put masks on, robes on, and they they even though the FDA doesn't uh, doesn't um, monitor just yet you know it doesn't enforce the policies just yet on the cannabis industry everybody that we met with built their their infrastructure to fda standards it was very impressive so you know again came back from that trip and just felt like okay this is something we absolutely have to do for lots of good reasons and so i met with uh, a couple folks we reached out to we decided that you know, look you know new jersey at the time just had um had two organizations i mean they're phenomenal organizations so you had the coalition for medical marijuana in new jersey Ken Walski runs that, an amazing group. Um, they did a phenomenal job for patients in getting the first bill passed to, to begin with. And then you had New Jersey United for Marijuana Reform. So you had a social justice leadership, you had a patient leadership, but there was nothing there for the business side, right? So the industry, what should the industry look like? What When we develop this, what should it in, in, encompass? So um, talked to a bunch of people, formed a, a small board. We created a nonprofit organization. We became New Jersey's very first uh, nonprofit trade organization for the cannabis industry. 
Okay. That you're you're very shy. That was. I need you to talk more. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, Every so, t- uh, ten minutes, five minutes each time, each question, five minutes. Okay. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's great. So NJCBA, uh, it, it's been doing amazing. I'm I'm going to jump ahead to something I was going to talk about, but you've had such longevity, and we've seen uh, a lot of organizations and cannabis come and go. What do you think has really uh, set your group apart to uh, to stay? very relevant the entire time in the industry. Well, we're being true to what our charter is, right? So we are a trade organization. So whether you're the Bankers Association, the Realtors Association, uh, all basically every industry has some trade group that represents them at the state house, and they fight for or against things. So that's been our model. So we've been fighting for legalization. We've been fighting to make sure that we have the right uh, infrastructure there, that we're capturing all the good things that we need to do, like focusing on you know, social justice issues, making sure that there's an expansion for patients. So we've been doing those things, and then we do some fun networking things. We have we've had some social networking events where you know people get together at night. We've done some educational programs. We've done some workshops. So, you know, our model has been is diversified model. But again, our focus has been, you know, fighting for um, legalization efforts and patient rights. So um, coming from a conservative background, what were kind of some of the reactions you got from your peers, your family, from anyone yeah. uh, when you said, hey, hey guys, I'm going to do cannabis? Well, you know, it, you know, and I know when I say this, it doesn't always come across great. But, you know, it is actually a conservative issue, right? I mean, if you want less government on something. This is a this is a phenomenal. Um, and it has nothing to do with money, right? What? 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 <laughs> the, the when you say cannabis being a conservative issue, there's some money in there now. Well, would you have conservative principles, right? So yes. a conservative principle is less government. Yes. And so if you know factually that, for example, uh, cannabis is healthier than alcohol, well, you know factually that cannabis is healthier than a lot of uh, FDA approved prescription drugs, and you know this to be true. And then you look at the cost of what happens to society. You know, if we're arresting, you know, New Jersey has the third highest arrest rate in the country for simple possession of cannabis, period. We arrest more than 34,000 people in 2017, 32,000 people in 2016. That number, that trajectory is going up. So you look at the cost of that from a human capital perspective. So we have, we're taking so many people off the street. We're putting, they're incarcerating, we're giving them criminal records. They're losing their jobs, they're leaving their spouses. They can't get into college, they can't get into the military, they can't get a loan. I mean, for years and years and years, the rest of their lives are gonna be carrying that around with them. So you look at that, that's a human capital. Then you look at the cost, right? So we spend, New Jersey spends about $145 million a year, a year incarcerating people. So from a, from a, even from a taxpayer perspective, you go, that's a significant waste of money. We should be generating tens of thousands of jobs and not arresting tens of thousands of people. We can be generating $300 million in new revenue instead of spending $145 million. So from a conservative perspective, this makes perfect sense. And then going into the business infrastructure, I mean, yeah, we want this to be set up right. We want to make sure it's responsible. We want to make sure that there's quality assurances and there's testing involved and that patients or adult, future adult consumers, when they're going to buy their package, they see exactly what's in there. So yeah, no, absolutely. So if this could be uh, appealing to conservatives, then how come a, we're having so much trouble getting some of them on board. Yeah. And, you know, personally, as someone who was a legislator in, in your voting history, I know you abstained uh, previously. Mm-hmm. What could have taken you from that to being a yes vote? And how can we get the yeah. current people to be a yes and vote? And that's, that's the big question, right? So, yeah, in 2009, when the medical cannabis um, legislation was up, I did abstain. And that was under 2009 knowledge, right? So, like a lot of my friends today, they haven't delved in. You know, back in 2009, we were pretty much concerned about if we legalize it for patient use and if we go down this path and then you had all the concerns uh, about proliferation. You had concerns about kids getting access and all that kind of stuff. Antiquated information, antiquated thought process. You know, since that point when I had the opportunity to meet with um, um, with one of the parents of uh, a child with severe uh, seizure disorders, you know, when we had an opportunity to reopen up the legislation again and then allow kids to have access to medical cannabis, I voted yes on that one. I voted because then you could see this is not just for something that was a limited use for certain very minor medical conditions. So at the time you're thinking glaucoma, you're thinking maybe some uh, cancer um, and limited ways it could be utilized. It wasn't until a couple years later when you're starting to see the expansion of the program, you're starting to get more information out there, more states have come online that you're seeing you know, kids with seizure disorders, Gervais syndrome, I mean, God, you know, th- there are people that are, they go through 100, 200 seizures a day, and then yeah. you give them some CBD, and then they go from 100 to 200 a day to 
two or three times a month. That's a quality of life game changer. And so for me, that's where, you know, so that was in 2013. For me, that was my transitional point and the pivot to, you know, this is a medicine first and, and that we have this opportunity. And, and as legislators, we need to be responsible and not get in between, you know, a decision between a mother and a daughter and a doctor. I mean, that's that's something legislators shouldn't do. For, for sure. And I would think at this point, because there is so much education out there, most people are on board with medical. But I, I know both of us are constantly going around the state and shouting from the rooftops, we need to get adult use done. And how do we take the, the more conservative mindset and bring them over to the adult use side? It's it's facts. And, and it's like I said, the, the at the end of the day, a lot of conservatives, a lot of my peers uh, in the state legislature, you know, they're looking at this from a social perspective, right? They think that this is a bad thing because the only real investigation that they've done is watching Fast Times at Ridgemont Higher or Cheech and Chong movie, right? So a lot- Which are excellent. Phenomenal movies, <laughs> not taking anything away from the quality of the movie, but you know, unless you've seen the impact of cannabis on a patient or you just knowing the facts that they are today. So for example, you know, in Colorado, you know, people when we when we talk about so you go around the state as well, and when we talk to legislators and community leaders, what do they care about? They care about teenage use. They, they care about their votes. They care about teenage use. <laughs> they care about drunk driving because the, the the people that vote for them, the voters, right? So that's what they're concerned about. So we, as an as an organization and other, partnering with other organizations, you know, we've been out there educating, and you can see the the impact it's have. You know, recent uh, poll just came out the other day. We know we're at 66% approval rating for cannabis legalization. 51% of Republicans, finally. You know, so we, we've crossed wow. over on the Republican side even. So, you know, Democrats and independents, you know, have been there for a longer period of time because they look at this differently. But from a, you know, conservative Republican perspective, and you're looking at right and wrong and black and white, and you're looking at this from a, you know, from a perspective of, well, you shouldn't have been doing it anyway, kid. Yeah. You know, that's unfortunate because they know now. So we're seeing teenage use go down in Colorado. We're seeing the positive impact of a regulated industry. We're learning now for, well, we've learned, We've, we've known this for a while, but we're, we're seeing it really hit um, in, a, in a manner which we can measure. Keeping the illicit market the way it is, keeping prohibition the way it is, keeping the status quo has failed. And it can be, again, you know, it can be counted in terms of lives and dollars lost. I mean, people have lost their lives uh, through this process. Bad drug deals, police going into the wrong house. I mean, it's just... just people have let, lost their lives in the past few months due to tainted vape cartridges that wouldn't have existed if we had a regulated market. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. talk about uh, talk about putting a spotlight on why we need to have a regulated industry while testing is cr is critical. Yeah. When, you, when you ingest something, you should know that it's been tested and not something that's just been sent through the mail to somebody else and it was sold to you and blah, blah, blah. You don't know where that came from. Yeah. Wouldn't be better and smarter to go down to the store down the street or that town over where they are employing people where they're paying taxes and you go in there and you're carded before you can even enter the retail section wouldn't that be smarter yeah right? and and you know what instead we're getting pushed back in the opposite direction where you look at some place like massachusetts where their response to the vape ban i mean the yeah. the vape crisis has been a ban four yeah. months no legal vape cartridges right. Well, that's great. Let's drive everyone back to the black market. No, exactly, and that's yeah. what that, and that's what exactly what's going to happen there. Yeah. Look, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we we have a great uh, we have great leadership in the New Jersey Department of Health. Um, Jeff Brown runs that program, and they they put out you know strict stringent guidelines on what can and cannot be in vape cartridges, yeah. right? And so there's never been an incident in New Jersey from a legally purchased medical cannabis uh, vape cartridge where they caused any issues. So do, do you know, so I, I don't think I got the statistic from you. So the, how many there's been in America vape related, uh, not, not necessarily deaths, I think the death is still at 12, but uh, occurrences? Nope. Yeah, so- 800? Yeah, there was more, it's 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 crossed over a thousand. Is it over a thousand? It's over a thousand. Do it, you know how many Canada has? And in Canada there's been one. You're so so, good at so this. that that's the thing, right? So you just again you look at you know Canada, the entire country is legal, right? So yeah. province by province, it's legal there, and their adult use and medical program are, are moving forward and very regulated all through testing. And one Fair. incident one. out yep. of the entire country, you've had a thousand, and this just yeah. shows when we have you know when we have state by state different rules and regulations and how it's you know and how they're being yeah. utilized. And again, the black market, the illicit market that's out there, you know, people are are. There's two two guys in um, a Midwest state. And I, it's, it's just 
escaping right now, like Michigan, Wisconsin, the two guys in a condo that they rented under a fictitious name. They had 10 people working for them in this condo, filling up vape cartridges, uh, you know, thousands of them, thousands of yeah. them, thousands of them. And they had those bad ingredients in there. Mm-hmm. So now there's tens of thousands of vape cartridges going across the United States and people getting them and they're thinking it must be safe. It must sure. be okay. It looks like a, it was, it, they were, they were packaged. Uh, they, they got their packaging from, from China. So it looked like a legitimate thing but it was not and so when we start to clean up the illicit market you're going to see the benefits of that having things tested and proven is very valuable for patients and consumers and patients especially because they're the most vulnerable you know you have patients with certain conditions and they will be exacerbated by you know even bacteria and fungus that's in flour sure you know so you have bacteria and fungus in flour when it's not when it's not done right when it's not cured right and it's not been tested and and we've seen that happen we've seen patients with leukemia die because their immune system's so weak that when they take ingest bacteria into their system they, it, it just ravages their body and, and they and two two folks passed um uh, in, Cal- in California a couple years ago because and, of that. And this, I think, is the best argument for not having decriminalization because that, I think, would be the strongest driver of the black market. I mean, personally, like, I, I've been working above board my entire cannabis career. I'm applying for a license now, and I won't be making edibles till I get one. Unless they decriminalize, because I've done the math on this, and if it's a $50 fine, I could get a $50 fine every single day and at the end of the year, it would cost me $18,000, which with no licensing, no overhead, making brownies in my kitchen, no permits, no mm. OSHA, that's what it costs to apply for a license. So you're talking about an extremely profitable business with absolutely no penalties and no regulations. Yeah. So No, no, you're, you're right. And, and decriminalization really does. It, it, it While it sounds good, and it, it's got to be part of the overall legalization effort, right? So when yeah. we're talking about this, it needs to be decriminalized, and it only only when it's in conjunction with, you know, a safe way to get your products, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, you're just saying you're not solving the problem of, of people interacting with drug dealers who ha- are bad bad actors, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, the folks who have more than just cannabis, I'm in their gonna pocket, be the nicest drug dealer. Well, <laughs> no, you won't, because you're gonna get a license. <laughs> you're gonna do things by the book. Um, but the you know, but you get these folks out there. They have more than just pot in their pocket. You know of what course, I mean. Yeah. And and so you know, the guy that was busted. I just read it in the paper the other day. You know, I'm sure you have a you know Google alerts with marijuana in there, and you get these things. And some dude in New Jersey got busted with selling selling cannabis, selling weed, and and he had a bunch of opioids on him too. And what yeah. happens when the opioids run out? And and it's that 15 year old, that 12 year old. You know, drug dealers don't car. Dispensary yes. operators do. That's part of our mantra. And and it's because drug dealers don't care if you're 12, if you're 15, or if you're 25 or 50. Yeah. You can't enter a dispensary in New Jersey. And that's really for the public here. Like, people need to really understand that, you know, a 15-year-old, uh, my 15-year-old daughter, 16-year-old daughter could walk into a uh, liquor store, buy a bag of chips and a bottle of Pepsi and walk out. That you can't enter into a dispensary until you've already proven that you're 21. You have to be 21 just to get into the retail section. I mean, the the way that it's regulated here in New Jersey and most states, and they have that, those strict rules, and, and it has having a positive impact. That's why you're seeing cannabis rates, cannabis use rates amongst teenagers going down across the country, not just Colorado, across the country. Well, it's not cool anymore when your dad and your uncle are doing it. You're not rebelling. Right. So now right. you got you got to do that's, something else to rebel. That's another factor. You got to pierce it, something. 100%. Or... <laughs> 100%. <laughs> so uh, that brings me to a question. So as such a prominent figure in New Jersey, and uh, you're also a patient, what's the message or, you know, how do you deal with your kids and telling them what's your message on cannabis? Just be honest. I mean, I, I you know, look, you know, adolescent brains don't stop growing until they're 25. I mean, so we're talking to alcohol, cannabis, cough syrup. I mean, we need to be cautious about a lot of things that we ingest, particularly for those who are still developing. So we, we want to make sure that they understand it. And I, I um, when I sort of came out of the cannabis closet, if you will, when we created this organization, I went right to my kids because I knew that um, hey, look, a teacher's going to ask him, hey, is that your dad that's trying to legalize pot or something like that? And, and you know, and you're, I just wanted them to know what it is. And so, you know, I was fortunate. Um, you know, one of, our, one of my dear friends, one of our board members, uh, Rob Cresson, uh, they know Rob very well. He's a very dear friend of mine. He has a very significant uh, disorder. It's called chronic, chronic regional pain syndrome. He talks about it a lot. He testified before committees. They know Rob as a patient. So it's really easy for them. Because, again, this is three years ago. So they're uh, 13 year old and 10 and, and seven, right? So they had young kids and, and um, you know, they easily understood Rob's condition. They understood the dangers of opioids and how people are transitioning off of opioids to cannabis. 
Um, so I talked to him a lot about that. And then as they got older, I got deeper into the conversations and I just say, hey, look, this is not something, look, it's not something you should do. This is not, this is something you should wait on. Just like we say with no matter what it is, but if you're going to make a mistake, I'd rather you make a mistake with cannabis instead of alcohol. I mean, if you're going to do something that that's going to be like that, you're better off doing it this way. And, and, I, and I, and I stressed the fact that you wait, 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 be old enough, be mature enough, be around the right folks, you know, be 18, be 21. So I do as a responsible parent share all those things and we do act on it at home. Um, so there's no, no, nothing there, but I will tell you this, that, you know, whether you're a parent, uh, we're talking about alcohol or cannabis or whatever, you got to be open and be, got to be honest with them. Look, kids are going to, you know, you're a teenager at one yeah. point. Well, you know what? I, I'm always trying to work the loopholes. So my mother gave me a similar message and she said, Tara, you know, I, I don't care if you're going to drink, you know, that's your own decision, but I just don't, I want you to be safe. I don't want you to drink and drive. So if you are drinking, just let me know and uh, just give me a call. Yeah. And I never slept home a weekend in high school again. <laughs> well, that's the thing, yeah. right? But hey, but you're being safe. Yeah. And yeah. I every think weekend, hey, mom, I shouldn't drive. I shouldn't drive. You know. <laughs> but, but no, but that, but that's yeah. that's your mom doing a mom thing, right? Yeah. And so we're all doing this now. Look, cannabis is going to be cannabis. First of all, let's be honest, right? So cannabis is around for teenagers since the six before that. I mean, it's yeah. been around for thousands of years, but became more prevalent, more visible in the '60s and '70s. Um, so my, my teenage years were the eighties and, and, uh, and I, you know, look, it was around then you could easily get it now then just like you could easily get it now. Mm -hmm. So if it's going to be something that's out there, you do want it to be in the legal process. You do want to make sure that you are, that it's gone through quality control and testing and all those other things that are not talking to drug dealers. Yeah. I and mean, if they steal it from an older brother or something like that, and they've gone through the, and it's a legally purchased thing, then that's what happens, right? You know, teenagers are going to be teenagers are going to experiment. They're going to make some bad decisions. Uh, along the way and and for me you know as a parent just like you know i know how your mom was towards you it's like the bottom line is be safe be smart be safe absolutely so um yeah i mean i think we're gonna eventually phase out the black market some people disagree with me but like how people aren't making gin in their bathtub anymore right. and uh how, how long of a timeline you think before we really clean it up well i think you know bathtub gin right so uh you look at prohibition and bathtub gin People, look. In when we when we had alcohol prohibition in the twenties and it ended in the early thirties, um, bathtub gin things hung around for a little while, but they eventually go away, right? Yeah. Because one, you can't control the quality. I mean, sometimes you got drunk off a of bathtub gin, sometimes <laughs> you went blind, right? So, yeah. so uh, you know, people want to know that their the product that they're purchasing is something that that's going to again has gone through some quality testing. It has something that you know what the ingredients are. So. The, the illicit market for alcohol faded, you know, all the bootleg stuff yeah. faded within a couple of years because- I, I used to say you can't get moonshine anymore, but I've had some amazing apple pie moonshine oh, yeah, in the yeah. past few years. Hey, so look, you know, I had to move to bathtub gin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, but even that, even yeah. even today, by today's standards, at least you know what's going in there, but yeah. they were putting kerosene back then. I mean, sure. you don't know. And it's the same thing with vape cartridges. They were like the illegal uh, vape cartridges that were created. They put vitamin E acetate in there. And I'm sure the folks were like, hey, it's vitamin E. It's probably not bad, right? I mean, they probably yeah. thought, you know, in the back of their mind, like, because they don't have a background. They're not a scientist. Yeah. They never went through any schooling. Yeah. And they're like, hey, put some vitamin E in there. So let's cut it. And uh, and people were dying from that. Yeah. And the same thing when they were back in the, back then, too. So, look, I, I don't know exactly when because, you know, this is going to be a state-by-state state issue. But I think in states that are legalized, the, the illicit market is going to shrink significantly in short order because people are going to want to be assured that the product that they're, they're consuming has been tested at some level and you can read the ingredients. And that's, and I think the vape crisis is what sort of put a spotlight on that. Absolutely, and that's one thing I never, you know, I, I, if I know something, I try to educate people, but when I don't, I don't. And there's a certain point, you know, where we do have to turn this over to the scientists and the labs and say, look, we have a, a great grassroots movement here. We have some great growers and processors in the country, but let's also get some scientists in here and make sure what we're doing is at a pharmaceutical level, even for adult use. Right. Yeah. So um, I uh, want to say, so we know that I don't want to 
I want to keep this evergreen, so I don't want to talk too much about New Jersey legalization. I know we're trying to get this done in the lame duck session this year, and I know I, I knew it was over 60%. I didn't know we're up to 66. That's yeah. actually awesome. Um, Isn't that kind of misdistributed, though, with the Republican? Because even if it's 51%, that doesn't guarantee it's per district the numbers we well, need. That, and, and again, that, that goes – so most legislators, they want to reflect their district. So, yeah. you know, they, you don't see – you know, legislators that take a lead, like take Nick Scatari 15 years ago. I mean, he tells a story all the time. You know, th- there was a senior senator who put his, you know, his hand on Nick's shoulder and said, son, you know, yeah. you're not going to have a short career here as a senator if you're going to continue down this path. Nick had the, the guts ahead uh, to move forward on that and stick with it year after year. And he finally got the first one through, which is medical and the expansion through. And now we're, we're on the precipice of adult use. So, you know, but most legislators are not Nick Scatari. Most yeah. legislators are, are sitting there, they're reflecting their district. Um, and so as we're seeing, though, right, so the assembly had majority of the assembly. Um, everybody talks about it, whether you're Assemblyman Jamal Holly or the speaker. The votes were there. The missing votes were in the Senate. And there was only a handful, like three, four votes, right? So yep. it depends on who you're talking to. Um, that's a harder thing to do is to get out front on an issue that where you – you know, so again, whether you're Republican or Democrat, you know, if you're if you reach the level of senator, you have made lots of friends with chiefs of police and mayors. You spend a lot of time on, you know, soccer field sidelines and knowing the coaches and knowing all these things in the community groups. And if those people are talking to you, if those chiefs of police are talking to you and saying, look, this is a bad idea, I don't think you should do it. Yeah. And you're being reinforced by the soccer coaches that this is really bad. And then even though I'm showing you facts and statistics that say otherwise. Well, that's, yeah, that's earlier it, you're saying it's about education, but I feel like we've educated till we're blue in the face. We're sort of. We're educating legislators till we're blue in the face, right? Yeah. So that's a big part of what we do as, as an advocacy group. It's getting that out to the rank and file folks out there that are influencing them as well, right? So again, those chiefs of police, you know, you talk about law enforcement, there's a lot of law enforcement people are on board with this. There's a lot of law enforcement who will tell you quietly off the record that they support this and here's why, right? So they know if they're walking into a, a house party and there's nothing but a bunch of beer going on that there's gonna be a problem. They walk into a house party and they smell weed and they're feeling much more comfortable going, what, what they're walking into, right? Um, they know this, and they also know that they don't want to ruin somebody's life, you know, forever, right? So to have a criminal record. So they know that this is something that's healthier and better and stronger, faster, blah, 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 right? So they know this. Um, but that's off-the-record stuff. But when you get the Chiefs, the Chiefs are very influential folks, right? And and they've been around, they're, they're 50, 60 years old. I mean, if they're a Chief, they've been around the block for a long time. So they're bringing with them the Nancy Reagan era, you know, don't ask, don't, or not the wrong one, <laughs> just say no. That was Bill Clinton. No one else knew. Yeah, but uh, that was a Bill Clinton quote. But the Nancy Reagan quote was, uh, just say no. And they believed that. And they felt like this is something, you know, here's your brain on drugs, your sort of mantra. Oh and we have to break through that barrier. So it really is, comes down to, you know, we're talking about grassroots uh, and, and, and we got to get to the top. We got to get to the bottom. We got to meet in the middle. And I think we're going to get there. You would be so proud of me. I just did a, uh, well, as you know, I'm doing a Atlantic Cape Community College. It was one of the first in the state. I'm teaching a program there. And our first lesson was on the history of cannabis. And I, I know a lot of the history, but I really want to take a deep dive into it. And I probably know more about the war on drugs mm. and Nixon, Bush, Clinton, yeah, which right, right. each of them did and all their agendas and uh, Really, really quite a bit, probably more than I ever wanted to know. But um, yeah, so uh, it, it's interesting that actually the most scared and I generally don't get scared public speaking, things like this. I absolutely love. But um, I had to approach the chief of police in one of the towns I was thinking of having yeah. a dispensary. So uh, one of the councilmen from the town went in with me and he introduced me and it was a uh, chief of police and two uniformed officers. And I sat there and my voice just quivered the entire time. When we left, he said, were you nervous? I said, yes, <laughs> yes, I was terrified. Yeah. He said, your eye was twitching the entire conversation. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's weird. We're so It's so ingrained, especially as a cannabis user, just be scared of the police. Well, and that's unfortunate, right? But yeah. that's, again, that's something that's gonna change. Generational shifts take a generation, right? Yeah. I mean, just by definition. You look at a lot of the uh, dispensary operators in Jersey, a lot of the security personnel are former law enforcement, right? So, you know, you have a, the, the one at the, the South Jersey, um, the, their chief of security, the director of security is a retired state trooper. Mm-hmm. Um, once they're in there and they actually see, they get the job and then they actually see patients, they actually see all these things. I mean, you walk into some of our dispensaries and there are people with wheelchairs, there's people on crutches, people with canes. You, you got, it, it's, it is not what, it is not the 
Jeff Spicoli's type of personality walks into these dispensaries, right? These are real patients with real conditions. Um, and I think once police, younger officers see this, they know this to be true, right? So they already know this. But once you get those officers who are in their 40s and 50s and older, you know, that's where you're starting to get into those generational challenges. And again, I think it it is time. And, and it, you know, one of the best things I do right now is uh, the Colorado Division of Criminal Justice they issued a report last year. Um, it's a phenomenal report for law enforcement to read. And I send it out whenever, you know, I send it out whenever, I, whenever I'm asked. Um, it talks about teenage use going down. It talks about DUIs going down. It talks about traffic fatalities for those who are proven to be impaired by THC um, going down as well. They're showing that through education, regulation, and enforcement that we can actually do good things. And I think that as we have... As the industry grows in New Jersey uh, for the patients and hopefully soon adult use, I think more and more people are going to really recognize that, the benefit of a regulated industry versus a black market or illicit industry. Or So so one thing I always say, which I, I believe to be true, is that when we take uh, adult use legalization, we can move our police force away from petty arrests for possession and put them towards more violent crime or any kind of crime that's mm -hmm. actually more helpful to the community. And I always thought that was a positive across the board. And someone said to me recently, yeah, but they actually make money off those low-level arrests. And that in some ways could be working against police support. You know, it, and I've heard that too. And, and maybe in some towns that is the way. I don't think that is predominantly the reason. I think you know, because I, you know, I'm a former mayor, right? So I did talk to my chief, you know, the town I'm in now, and and I talk to if I go to football games or whatever, I see all, all the police there, and I talk to them, and and just you know, just casually asking them questions. I think for the most part, it's just a general concern of public safety versus money. And besides, look, uh, the the the. The towns are going to be able to assess up to two percent tax on on having a dispensary in their town. So I think from you know for those towns who who welcome a dispensary or any of the cannabis, I think all the businesses are going to be allowed to uh, towns are going to be able to assess at uh, all the different levels. Um, I think that's going to be a benefit to those municipalities, it really will. And I and I think that those who are generally concerned about public safety, that'll be it. But there's always a knucklehead town here or there where they're more focused on arrest for revenue. And, and that's, that's unfortunate. Um, they do exist from time to time. But I think for the most part, it's a public safety concern, public safety issue. And I do think they take that seriously. Um, and again, it's just, you know, when you've been trained, so I'm, a, I'm an army veteran, right? So when you're trained one way the entire time, this is all you believe and you go, 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 rah, rah, rah. And then someone says, oh, just kidding. It's actually pretty good for you. And it's just hard to make that shift. And I think that's where they're shifting. It's going to look, it's going to take a while. Not everybody trusts the police. I come from a different perspective, being a, being a mayor and having to work with police on the management level. Um, I do know that, you know, at least in the town I, I, I was uh, mayor of, that we, you know, we had a great relationship with the community. And I think um, as things progress, uh, community resource officers in school will be very valuable in this. And, and just having that, having that um, association with law enforcement in a different way. And getting any cannabis prohibition and stopping those arrests and stopping that negative engagement with young people will also be a very positive thing, I think, overall in developing a better relationship with law enforcement. Well, it's all about normalization, too. Yeah. And uh, that bias you speak of for officers, I feel like, is the same uh, bias that's been ingrained by the war on drugs, by the reefer madness for older generations to have that same shift of like, oh, wait, we were wrong. You've been completely miseducated. It's okay. So, um, yeah, I think that's a message across the board. It's a big transition, right? I mean, you, you look at, you know, one of the big things, too, you know, talk about conservative Republicans, like the gay marriage issue, right? I mean, that was a big debate for a long time. And, oh, my God, what's going to happen if this happens? What are my kids going to do? Are they going to marry somebody? Blah, blah, blah. It was just a ridiculous, ridiculous mindset I think people had for generations because that's what they always taught. And then all of a sudden, the Supreme Court just says, oh, it's okay. <laughs> Nothing happened, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the world didn't shatter, didn't break, and all of a sudden people who love each other could be legally married. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't that fantastic? So yeah. I think once we saw what happened, once that became legal and accepted and normalized, no one really cares anymore. It's not that big of an issue for most people. In fact, yeah. it's embraced, right? I think cannabis legalization has had some of the same hurdles, some of the same societal um, prejudices against it. And now that we're saying, okay, look, it's okay now, but don't just believe me. Here's the Colorado Division of Criminal Justice report. Here's the American uh, Medical Journal report. Here's all these studies from Israel, from the United States, from Canada that says it's okay and here's why. But it's okay if we do it right.
And I think that's the way we have to make sure that we do it. We do it right. Yes, but New Jersey did not legalize gay marriage until it was done federally. So please, yeah. let's not hope that happens with cannabis. No, it won't happen with cannabis. <laughs> I, I, I can assure you that. I mean, I think we're so far down the path on, on, on All right, cannabis right You heard right that. Now. He's guaranteeing that I'm guaranteeing <laughs> that New Jersey will be before the federal government. And that's not because we're it's just because federal government is going to take a long time. Right now, they're going to do a hearing next week. Um, in the United States Senate on the health effects uh, or negative effects of, you know, it's it's basically, uh, I forget what the title is, but it's basically look at the health effects of marijuana, right? Mm-hmm. So they're calling it marijuana still. Um, and, and, and we spoke about it last time, and I'm also going to have someone coming on to talk about that. But marijuana, and I think this was, Scott had some influence on this, is now being used as the illegal term. Um, we're using cannabis, which is actually the scientific name for the plant, mm-hmm. because marijuana was used as a political agenda to demonize the uh, the Mexican population and brown people in general. Marijuana was the, uh, the racist term that they basically used, and that was something you've spoken about and actually educated people on to start using the word cannabis. And so much of it is about language, too. It, it, you know? 100%. It is about language, and, and words matter. And, and if you... You know, if you talk to it in, in more of the scientific and factual terms, and, and again, you know, not to, you know, look, people like to talk about weed and, and pot and marijuana, and, and we all use it interchangeably. And I think when we're not, you know. How sick of pot puns are you? I'm so <laughs> tired of the pot puns. I know. I mean, honestly, that I is I think so... it's high time that they ended. Aha, uh-huh, you know? very it, good. It, it's just growing so rapidly now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's awful. It is awful. But you know what? It It is what it is. And it's yeah. kind of funny, you know, too. And again, it's, you know. Look, I don't walk around saying, you know, hey, hey, cannabis, cannabis, cannabis all the time. You know, it's yeah. it's it is weed, you know, for some. And, you know, if you're sure. a certain age and, uh, you know, you call it what it is. But I don't use marijuana and I don't yeah. use pot because I don't know. I, I'm not a big believer in trigger words necessarily. Sure. Like a lot of things trigger me. But because this is such a passion of mine now that when someone says pot, I know that they're anti. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that that's an anti word. You know, there's a woman. I won't mention her name. So she's a former state legislator. She represents the uh, uh, the drug treatment industry. And uh, she sent me a note after I announced that we're doing, you know, three years ago when we created the NJCBA, um, that uh, she goes, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, upset that you're representing the pot industry. And so from that moment, I'm like, every time I see the word pot, it's an anti-cannabis person. So, yeah, and marijuana is the same way. Look, so, I mean, well, mar- I'll, I'll tell you a quick story and then I sure. want to hear that. So um, there's a mutual friend of ours who we had, that was our safety word, you know, as if. You know, sometimes when you're being adventurous, you have a safety word and you scream out pineapple and that means stop or whatever. Um, (laughs) Pineapple is the most often used word. Uh, But so we had a word that said, let's get the hell out of this conversation. And if one of us was to use the word pot, we knew it was a word mission. (laughs) Yeah, because neither of us would ever use that in regular conversation. And, and, you know, look, potheads, you know, stoners, all all those things, it's antiquated. We don't call people who who enjoy uh, an alcoholic beverage from time to time, boozers. Yeah. I mean, hey, what's up, boozer? You're boozer. <laughs> yeah. You know, no one uses that. You know, we don't call... Uh, lusher. Yeah, lusher. <laughs> or we don't say that's hooch. You know, it's yeah. like, that is, it's alcohol, you know. And it's sort, sort of like uh, why we went from recreational marijuana to recreational cannabis to adult use cannabis, right? Yes. So that was sort of the, the progression over the last five to ten years. Um, and it's just because... in, in I'm at a panel discussion last year, this mayor's conference in Atlantic City, and the guy from uh, SAM, um, Kevin Sabat. Do you want to tell people what SAM is quickly? Uh, SAM is ironically called Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Smart Approaches to Marijuana is the anti-cannabis world, right? So just in their name, if there's a smart approach to anything, they wouldn't say marijuana, right? Mm-hmm. So, but but they have, they're in, in, I'll go real quick, their foundation the, when when Sam was when Smart Approach to Marijuana was established, Sam was established. Their funding came straight from Big Pharma. There's no doubt about it. There's there's evidence to that effect. And and that while they're denying it today, maybe yeah. it's true today. But their foundation was that Big Pharma trying to get them out. But yeah. anyway, they, so in, in states where they've actually lobbied against, can like Arizona and. Yeah. Arizona. So <laughs> so glad you brought that up. I, we're going a major tangent right now. But no, Arizona, Sam. There's this, uh, an opioid, the, the people that created and manufactured fentanyl is a company called Insys, I-N-S-Y-S, look it up. Insys spent $500,000 fighting the Arizona adult use ballot question. Sam spent $500,000 fighting the, ad, the Arizona adult use ballot question. They shared the same staff, they shared the same people. So when we're talking about somebody that was in bed with big pharma, yeah. in bed with fentanyl, 
yeah. of all the drugs, that's that group. Yes. So now I'm on stage on a panel with this guy, Kevin, and uh, and look, I I, don't, <laughs> I think you know I, I think he believes what he believes. So I, I and that's another thing too that I want to just clarify. Like people who have a strong belief on this, even though we know that they're wrong. I don't necessarily hate them for being wrong, right? So it's yeah, a little bit dislike, <laughs> but uh, we don't hang out or anything. But I, I do believe he believes this. But at any rate, so here we are on the same panel. and But but how do you get in bed with fentanyl manufacturer? I mean, yeah. that, that was just mind-blowing. Mind yeah, money. <laughs> mind-blowing to me. So at any rate, um, uh, I'm on a panel discussion, and I talk about adult use, and then blah, blah, blah. And, and then he goes, he makes fun of the word adult use. Right. Ah, oh, it's recreational. It's recreational. They're coming up with this new phrase called adult use. Like, no, it's not a new phrase. I mean, it's called an adult beverage when we're talking about alcohol. So yeah. why is it different? We don't call it recreational beverage. Kids should be drinking it, right? I yeah. mean, if you're if you're gonna have like if you go if you're having a family picket picnic and you have a and you have a, a container that says recreational beverage, <laughs> I think everybody's gonna drink it, including the kids, right? I mean, I think yeah. that's just make common sense. So calling it adult use, like adult movies or adult beverage, it's just like people know it's twenty one and over folks. Sure. Every alcohol sign says, you know, drink responsibly. It's that's right. it's right built into all the messaging. It's built into it, right? So yes. yeah. So that while so while people are making you know, trying to make fun, whether they're calling it adult use now to sound more formal or calling it cannabis instead of pot. No, we're just calling it what it is. It is cannabis. It's not pot. And it is for adults. So we're talking about adult use, period. So you were saying, I I guess that was probably uh, League of Municipalities this was last year? Yeah, Conference of Mayors. Okay, so um, we have that coming up again in Mm -hmm. a few weeks. And so last year I I was at the NJCBA booth. And one thing that uh, we talked about that stuck out was someone who came and uh, they were a councilman somewhere up North Jersey, and they said, well, really the town is just afraid that people are gonna be smoking bongs on the corner. Right. And we were just like, well, people aren't really using bongs anymore that much, <laughs> and certainly not on the corner. So what do you think a year later now uh, we're gonna see different? I think what I'm seeing, so, you know, again, just it's somewhat, it's anecdotal, um, talking, you know, amongst my own friends back home and, and just seeing how people are getting more comfortable with talking about cannabis right so the pot whatever whatever they're calling it right so i think as people get more comfortable because we used to be the one of these things you whispered it you whispered it's cannabis <laughs> and uh and people would say it and you have to whisper it because you wouldn't want anybody think about anything but i see people getting much more comfortable with it um again federally there's a lot of movement going on state by state things are going on illinois just at legalized massachusetts there's active discussions with uh Governor Cuomo and Governor Murphy and Governor Wolf and others about, you know, creating a regional format for for uh, cannabis legalization in the Northeast. That's all smart. And I think it makes sense in some level. But it, I think what's what's happening now is more and more people, because all these conversations, athletes are coming out. I mean, there's Republicans and Democrats at the national level, the state level are coming out in favor of this because of education. So I think we just had on last week, Colin Jenkins, who yeah, uh, has a yeah. CBD line. So um, and I know I we talked about it briefly, but NJCBA is working with Athletes for Care. Mm-hmm. And there's a yeah, a ton of people. It's really helping it's, all over. And, yeah. and, and you're right. And, and the athletes, too. I mean, talk about a group of people that have. They're in the forefront of this issue, and and they had to, for the most part, keep it in the closet because they do get drug tested if they're an active athlete. So it's the former athletes that have come out and said, yeah, so um, what I did for my own treatment is when they gave me opioids for my knees or my back pain, I would throw it out, right? Yeah. Because what they were doing is smoking cannabis, right? So, you know, cannabis is, is a neuroprotectant. Yes. When you're particularly That's when you're talking where about- they got the trademark for, for the U.S. government for CBD, so they could own it and not the people. Yeah. It's a neuroprotectant. It's a neuroprotectant. That's yeah. right. Very good. Yes. And recovery. See, I pulled I pulled some you, knowledge you, you out did. sometimes you too. Did. You it. Do you want to hear something else funny? Sure. So I looked this up because I had to educate myself on football in one day before I interviewed him, and so I looked. <laughs> <laughs> football, you bet. Yeah, it, the ball's brown apparently. <laughs> um, so the testing window for cannabis, uh, and I don't know if this is every year, but at least the year I looked it up, it ends in early August and it starts on four twenty. Say it again. What? The testing window for when players get tested for uh can for uh drug testing for oh, the very NFL. Good. It starts on four twenty. That's the the drug testing period through, <laughs> through early August. Well, I was like, they're just screwing with you guys. They're not just messing with you, man. You're messing with me, man. No, but they do, and, and they use yeah. it for recovery. So it's yeah. it's it's as preventative medicine. It's also for for recovery, and and so hockey players, people that have had some major issues yeah. where you're getting punched and beaten up all the, you know for for in practice and in play. 
you know, for them, it, it's a big thing. So Athletes for Care, you know, you got people who are in phenomenal shape, 0% body fat, doing amazing things, and, and they're dramatically intelligent people, yeah. and they're talking about this, and you're just like, you're not Jeff Spicoli. Uh, this is not sure. what I remember from Cheech and Chong. And, yeah. and so you see people who've reached the, the, the pinnacle of, of human health, and they're saying, it's okay. Not only is it okay, it's so much better when they were giving me, like you talked to Riley Cote, who is a former Philadelphia Flyer, is part of the Athletes for Care group. You know, he talks about all the time. I mean, you look at pictures of him when he was an active player, when it was opioids and alcohol, um, and that's how players dealt with it. And then so you got a lot of, you got a lot of athletes who are dealing with the pain through opioids and alcohol abuse. Mm-hmm. Now that, you know, he switches over to cannabis years ago, and now he sees him. Now you look at a, a guy like Riley, who's such a ma- an amazing advocate for this, um, and he's in a phenomenal shape, and, and it's just not at all what people think. And, and it is, you know, when you see a picture from somebody a few years ago when they were on alcohol and opioids for dealing with their pain or whatever their issues are, to where they are today. I mean, I talked to a gentleman. I was reached out to uh, by a guy I hadn't seen for, I don't know, five or six years. I used to work with him when I worked at Lockheed Martin. And, uh, you know, he calls me up out of the blue and, and he's just telling me his story. And that's his story, too. He lost, yeah. he was 280 some odd pounds and he's now down to 170. I mean, he lost a whole human being. And it was all because he gave up alcohol and opioids and he's using cannabis for his medical needs. And you hear that story again and again. And something that I, I think is heartbreaking is I, I, I asked Colin, I said, you know, so are they testing for CBD? Because I could see THC testing. It's an yeah. intoxicant. It could, you know, affect you in certain ways. But CBD is absolutely not. And he said, you know what? The amount of things they test for, they literally give you like a Bible. And he's like, I don't even take a multivitamin. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm so terrified. Right. So I, you know, it just seems like, is it lobbying? Like, how do we get the NFL? Is it ever going to help to say, this is something players need while they're active, not just after they're retired and the, the brain damage CTE is done, but as that neuroprotectant right. while they're getting hit. We're getting there, right? So the World Health Organization, you know, took CBD off the um, the ban list. Um, a lot of other organizations have done that as well. Um, the the Players Association, you know, so they've been advocating for, so the Active Players Association, they've been advocating for CBD um, and THC. You're talking about cannabis in general. Um, and, you know, there, there's still resistance. Um, and I think the NFL, I think you're going to see, what you will probably see is the NHL taking the lead on this. They, hmm. they seem to be much more uh, progressive and, and forward-leaning on, on things like this. Um, they are looking out for their players. Uh, they Those guys are get brutalized. So, you know, football is, is, a, is a very, I mean, I, it's my favorite sport. It's a very violent <laughs> sport, right? Um, and those guys get beat up once a week. NHL players get beat up multiple nights during the week. They have very little time for recovery. That's why cannabis as a, as a neuroprotectant and recovery tool is very important for them. So stop feeding them the opioids. Give them this option. Um, I mean, look, you know, sometimes an opioid's not a bad thing if you use it in limited, in limited duration. Like if you're coming out of a surgery or major industry or injury, um, that's probably going to be good for you for a limited time, say three, four, five days or whatever the condition is, and then transition over to cannabis. But when you're, that's a major injury. But if you're just talking day-to-day violence, which which goes on at the NHL, right? I mean, it is it, the the damage that they do to their bodies is so significant to play that sport. Um, that's why I think you're going to see the NHL probably leading the way on this. Okay, that's pretty good. But in a lot of ways too, they're also significant injuries quite frequently. So yeah, no yeah. doubt. And, and even today, uh, just driving up here, um, uh, forget what the report was, but NBA players. Right, so NBA players, um, I mean, they they have the sleep dep- the sleep deprivation that a lot of these athletes go through. You know, your body needs eight hours plus, you know, a night and so forth. And you know, most normal people do that. Um, <laughs> he, he points at me as I, as I said last week. I uh, I did the interview questions between two and four in the morning, and then went back to bed. I'm a complete insomnia. But uh, but you know it, it is about your health and your welfare, right? Yeah. And and being able to get the good night's rest. And for a lot of people, cannabis is is a is part of that process. So you can, you know, if you if you take a couple of puffs or whatever it is, you know, an edible uh, to help you get to sleep, to help you sleep soundly through the night. And while you're sleeping soundly through the night, your body's recovering. I think that's a great tool. And and a lot of these players who crisscross across the country, um, that for them is is I think would be a needed tool. But again. Those are professional athletes. There's so many people in similar circumstances too that you know put their body to the test uh, on a daily basis. You know they're construction workers or otherwise, 
And so when that's been a heated discussion, well, what about construction workers? What about this? What about that? And that's where CBD can be such a valuable tool, recovery tool. And, and you know, so when we're okay with, uh, you know, in the workplace, opioids in the workplace, we're okay with cough syrup in the workplace. We're okay with other things that make us a little dopey in the workplace. But God forbid I had, you know, I smoked a joint last night to yeah. help me sleep, right? So, you know, we're, we're talking about making adjustments, not just we're talking about athletes, of course, but, you know, earlier, but, you know, talking about our workplace, talking about schools, talking about different things. I mean, you know, those kids who have significant issues who are on prescribed medical cannabis, they have to jump through so many hurdles, get lawyers involved just to allow their school to allow them to have that. But if it's an opioid yeah. or something like that or some other, uh, a benzo or something like that, they, you know, that's okay. You can do that. Just go down to the nurse and she'll give it to you, right? So there's not an equivalency for, for cannabis yet, but yeah. we're going to get there. It well, just takes time. That was something in the, the New Jersey bill I helped inform on was at the end of it, I remember uh, not only about being able to administer cannabis at school, but even it got so detailed as on a school bus for <laughs> the, the precise times that, you know, students would need their medication. So I, I guess it is being addressed, but not it's, federally at this point. It's slowly. it's slowly. It's slowly being addressed. And even then, it's it's even like with gay marriage, we're going back to that. Even though we, when it was allowable, some certain hospitals, you know, when when when, when New Jersey had didn't have gay marriage, but they had the... Um, um, What's the, uh, they had the civil union, civil union, which is not marriage, but yes. it was as close as the state could get at the time. Right. Yes. So, but e even under the civil union, um, the, you know, talking to, you know, when I was talking to friends of mine and they could not go in and go see their partner, um, because the hospital, even though it was state law, the wait, hospital wait, wait. didn't. You had gay friends as a Republican? I, I still have gay friends. I have gay family members. Yes. They haven't kicked you out yet? No, Dude, no. You're going to get a No, again, again, <laughs> conservative value. When you talk about this, there's a difference between being a conservative and being a, re a religious, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not so. If, if I'm, if, <laughs> if I'm using religion as part of my politics, I'm probably doing a little bit wrong, right? I mean, yeah. you know, so for me, it's sort of like less government uh, opportunities. And, and so if we're talking about gay marriage or otherwise, the less government, the better. You know, government shouldn't really be involved in marriage anyway. Yeah. I mean, I can see for, to have some legal document. I need them involved for my divorce. Is that okay? Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> okay. But you know what I'm saying. So yes. it, at the end of the day, I, I think it's just... Um, I don't know what we were talking about before, but, uh, you know, when we're talking... You having gay friends. I have gay friends. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you were comparing civil unions and marijuana legalization. And yeah, I know. But I, I think... Well, I forget where we got lost track on. Um, but at the, end, at the end of the day, though, what we were talking about, I think it's just the normalcy of it and how yeah. we normalize it and how when, you know, so we shouldn't be ashamed to talk about it. We shouldn't be ashamed. Like, no one, you know, on Facebook all day long, I mean, you can see, you know, it's always a joke, you know, some... You get some mom somewhere talking about red wine, and she's drinking wine, 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 and you know it's like that's okay. Slay all day, then rosé. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's really that's okay. Yeah. But somebody posts, you know, an article on cannabis this or cannabis that, and it's like it's sh it's shunned. It's it, it's frowned upon. Now we need to normalize this because I want people to be able to bring my products as Christmas gifts or mm -hmm. holiday gifts, I should Amen. say, instead Amen. of a bottle of wine. Absolutely. You know, it's healthier. It's healthier, absolutely, and I'm gonna package it better. So let's talk for a moment on federal. Two things I want to uh, to get across. A, um, without weighing in on personal opinion, what president... That's all I have. Well, too bad. I don't want your personal politics getting involved right now. Uh, I want you to objectively say what candidate do you think has our best chance for federal legalization? And mm. what do you predict um, with some states still not even having medical some really red states out there who are holdouts where's the tipping point on this for federal legalization well it's interesting i think you have um every major democrat running for president right now with the exception of joe biden supports adult use or supposed legalization yes. any prohibition right Biden so, only wants decrim right which means i don't want him <laughs> i don't think well i don't think he's got a chance at the end of the day but that, that was yeah. my personal opinion um <laughs> but uh no I, I think you know when you look at the the candidates who are running and I know this is a, a bad word to say, but even President Trump supports legalization. Boo. Boo. But he does. <laughs> and he said so publicly. Um, and well, he's, he's done a lot of good stuff the past four years for cannabis. For so. cannabis. And uh, so, again, we won't go outside the... the Was the, that not sarcasm? No, he has. No, he he no, he has. Actually, when you look at what he was... Well, first of all, he hasn't done anything because nothing's reached his desk. Um, but he has pledged... Uh, on the campaign trail and as president of the United States that he would support, if the bill came to his desk, um, he would support it. He assured uh, Senator uh, 
Corey Gardner from Colorado, Republican, that he would do so. And that was a discussion. And that was part of a heated even discussion with, with Jeff Sessions um, and getting him out of there. That was an issue, too. Um, so it's not like he's done a lot because there's not a lot for him to do. I mean, that, is it because things right now are Republican controlled and everything gets well, the shot Democrats, down before it gets well, to him? Uh, no, no. I mean, that's since 2016. I mean, you look at the, the House has been controlled by the Democrats and they have now moved forward. So we've got Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who, you know, ushered through with the help of all the other sponsors, and whatnot, the Safe Banking Act, which is yes. historic. Right. Yes. So that's historic. And that's still on the table as of. Today, well, right? it's still on the table. The Senate's supposed to take that up on, on the Senate Banking Committee. Supposed, well, they were supposed to take it up this month, so I suspect they're going to take it up next month. But there's a general belief that the Safe Banking Act will be passed and signed into law by by this president um, by the end of the year, so early January, that time frame. But going back to your earlier question about um, about uh, which candidate. So, so again, discarding uh, Trump, the, the candidates who I think have the best chance, they all are there except for Biden. Right. So it doesn't seem to me that it doesn't matter who it's going to be. So I don't want to delve into each individual campaign sure. thought process, but they're all seem to be pretty good on it. I mean, obviously, our, our own senator who's running for president, uh, Cory Booker, Senator mm-hmm. Booker, has been a long time advocate, has done an amazing job. So if I'm going to pick the best person, how about that? So if I'll pick the best person I who's going to usher this through, it'll be our very own Senator Cory Booker. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, so then, if that happens, you think we get it done in four years? Oh, we're going to get it done before then. I, I really do believe that. I, I think that the um, the first thing that we're going to after the state after the Safe Banking Act, I think the next thing we're going to see is the States Act. Now that may take. I an, thought the States Act became the Safe Banking Act. No, they're two separate bills. Oh. So the the States Act, what that does, it basically it doesn't federally legalize cannabis, but it federally recognizes state laws, which is the way the federal government is supposed to be. We're a small f federal. Right. So we're not this we're not we should not be this overarching control things country where the federal government leads everything. We were designed. I mean, when we originally performed as a country, strong state, big ass state. Right. So that big ass, big ass, <laughs> we're a big ass state. Um, but but a big ass. I am a big ass. But uh, yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no. But on the state level, that's where that's where you see democracy at work and so under the 10th amendment of the constitution not to bore you but you know (laughs) minute three um but the uh uh, but the 10th amendment of the constitution allows for intrastate commerce not to be messed with by the federal government and so that's what we're going to see the states acts basically going to acknowledge what the constitution already says and so if states want to legalize have addict everybody the federal government's going to recognize it's going to be great but if idaho you still want to have nothing going on? Well, we're not going to force you to do something you don't want to do, mm-hmm. which, again, is what the federal government should be doing. It's basically saying, you're okay, guys. If you guys want to do it, great. If you guys don't want to do it, that's up to you. But it's going to be a state-by-state thing under the States Act. So I think that's actually— So wait, did you say interstate? Where if intra. You, intra. Uh, so within the borders yeah, of yeah, a state— yeah. So I can, we wouldn't be able, because I, I know reciprocity for patients, but we can't have interstate trade, which would be game-changing if we could send this across state lines. But. It would be game-changing, and, and it would be—you would— Talk about a shift on, on we're such at the infancy stage of this industry. I mean, we it's been around for for many years now, but we really don't even know what this is going to look like when it's all said and done. I mean, once you start to have uh, open borders, if you will, with regard to cannabis and, you know, going from New Jersey to Pennsylvania to Ohio and so forth and so on. I mean, that's a dramatic shift. Um, so if we're able to you know, transport product, whether I'm selling it wholesale from Kentucky to New Jersey or vice versa, it's going to be a real game changer when it comes. Yeah. But we're not there yet. You know, yeah. we're, we're ways away. But I do think that I do think we're going to get the Safe Banking Act done within the next few months. And I do think that the States Act has a strong uh, opportunity, probably a bit after the presidential election. I think you're going to see that. And I think so then you're looking at 2021 at the federal level because we're going to have I mean, I, I, I'm a, I don't know who's going to win because we don't even know who the Democrat nominee is going to be yet. There's some other people who are, who are sort of on the sidelines who are waiting to jump in on what's going to happen. So it's hard to predict who the two – well, we know one's going to be Trump, but who the other person's going to be uh, and what happens. But I think in 2021, that's when we're going to see the States Act passed. Okay. And then what year do you think federal legalization? I don't know how that's going to shape up because it's, it's States Act, I think, is going to be there for a while. Okay. I mean, there may be some – other elements at the federal level so for again maybe it's social justice maybe it's arrest or maybe it's expungement or something like that could also happen Mm -hmm. so you get rid of the federal federal criminality of it and things like that should happen Um, but as far as like it's legal 
Um, State Tax essentially doing that. It's just saying, you know, Idaho, you know, I use Idaho as an example because they <laughs> definitely don't like cannabis there, yeah. uh, at least not officially, but uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people that live there do. Um, that's everywhere. That's everywhere. Um, but I think, you know, but if a state doesn't want to have it, then yeah. the state doesn't have to have it. I mean, it's not it's not a uh, constitutional right or something like that, but um, certainly if the voters want to have it in Idaho like they do here, then they'll get it eventually. All right. So we have a lot of exciting things coming up for NJCBA. You want to talk about a couple of them as we uh, we wrap up here? Yeah, we do. We have a lot of good things coming up. I mean, we look, when we established ourselves, we want to make sure that we were a trade organization. Again, a lot of it came down to education. We want to make sure we're, we're not just educating uh, and lobbying ed, uh, lawmakers and community leaders, but we want to get into education. So, you know, we had a career fair with Stockton University. You know, one of our Great partnerships is with Stockton, and we reached out to Atlantic Cape Community College. We have a great partnership there. You are teaching there now. We have a great relationship with Union County College. Um, so, so what we're trying to do now is we're helping develop curriculum. We're helping uh, with workshops. We're helping with educational programming. And I can't mention company names or anything, but uh, I've had really solid meetings in the past uh, week with very um, – prominent organizations who would love to help out on the educational side would love to help out with developing some of the programs that we're doing um and again so when we talk about education it's not just informing people about the the pros and cons of legalization but it's like getting the the next generation workforce ready right so you know you get it a lot too i get a lot you know people are looking for jobs right now they want jobs right now um you know we're still at six dispensaries that are operating soon there'll be 12 and with the next round coming out there'll be 36 and so forth and so on so as the industry grows, we want to make sure that we're helping develop professional standards. We're helping uh, develop the workforce. Um, and we want to make sure people are, are ready for it and, and transitioning into this from a different industry, too. I mean, that's a big yeah. thing, right? So it's easy for it. Well, the, the one know, thing I always say, because you're right, people do ask me that a lot. And y- y- people just look at the six or seven dispensaries we have and say, oh, well, those are the only jobs in the state. But they're not. When you talk about transitioning, I always tell people, whatever you do, there's a job for cannabis in it. If you're you know, a doctor, a lawyer, if you're an accountant, if you're in retail. Um, the only person who tripped me up recently was someone said, well, I'm a hairdresser. And I said, I don't know where that job is in cannabis. But CBD hair cream. There you go. All right. Let's wow. do it. Let's start it. You can do it. Okay. We're going to do it. I'm calling Sephora. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but generally most of the skills are very transferable. So that's why I say get the training now, set yourself apart, and then as either you can try something entrepreneurial or when the jobs come, you'll be ready. 100%. I think that's the thing. It's the green rush. We joke about it because mm-hmm. there's no such thing. Right, the green rush has been uh, the slowest drip. There, there's actually money creeping under the door of the studio right now, <laughs> it's just flooding in. So the the green rush is uh, is just a, is a fun term to use because everybody wants to jump in, and, and the reality is, um, it's taken a long time, and it, it yeah. just does. It's you know it's it is a normal industry when it comes down to it. So if you get a dispensary. You know, if you if you were recently approved um, to be a new license holder in the, in the last round um, that was uh, announced in December, none of those guys are up and running yet, and it's yeah. not. It, and it's because general business concerns, right? So you got to talk to your investors. You got to get approval from the town. What if the town is opposing you all of a sudden in this thing, or your your retention basin didn't meet the the, the township standards? It's just a business at that point, and sure. so it necessarily takes time. Um, but I think as we, I heard babies are drowning. no but you know but that's a real issue for one of the dispensary operators is like they're in a town and they can't get the town zoning approved because their retention basin has an issue right so they have to do that but if i was you know if a shopping mall i'd have the same retention pond issues right so it is at the end of the day a business that has to deal with real world circumstances and and again a lot of it comes down to uh, as well as you know people had to because it's not federally legal, you don't have your traditional methods of, of raising revenue, raising money for your new business, your new enterprise. You can mm-hmm. typically you can go to a bank or maybe even get a, a, an EDA, a, an Economic Development Authority grant or something like that for other businesses. If I want to open up a dry cleaner, there's a whole bunch of methods for me to go and sure. generate money or raise money or, 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 or borrow money from a bank. It's not that way here. And so for a lot of these other companies that are struggling right now, I mean, big companies, not just the small companies, big companies are struggling because they have to figure out how to pay back investors. Yeah, that's um, banking is a huge concern. And that's something I know we're trying to remedy right now because, you know, you're giving away giant chunks of equity of your company to get financing where most people would be able to get a small business loan or, you know, something a little bit more realistic. 
So, um, all right. So I just want to, before we wrap up, talk a little about how people can join NJCBA and uh, where they can find out more and get involved. Sure. Um, yeah. So, again. I well, could do it if you want. It's up to you. <laughs> well, no, but it, it, that's, you know, when we set ourselves up as an organization, you know, it's a, it's a business organization. Business is in the name. New Jersey can a business. But unlike every other trade group, one of the things we did do is set up a grassroots level. Right, so it's for forty-two dollars. Yeah, it's a spin-off of four twenty. Uh, it's for forty-two dollars. Uh, it's an entry membership, and what you're doing with that forty-two dollars, it helps fund all the lobbying efforts. It helps fund all of our educational programs. So we're a nonprofit organization. So, you know, so people who are, you know, very interested, they're 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 a patient, they're a social justice warrior. They just think cannabis should be legal and people should be left alone. Whatever their passion is, there's a space for them, and they do have an impact on on the outcome. What's going on in New Jersey? And then on the other membership levels, we have business memberships for different categories, of different levels of, of, of how you like to be involved. In. And um, and again, that, that helps, keeps the lights on, helps all of our efforts on educational programming, talking to legislators and so forth. So those are big deal uh, for us. And so joining, you can go to our website, www.newjerseycannabusiness.com, uh, newjerseycannabusiness.com. Yes, and we're also, not, not cannabis business. Cannabis, one word, canna. Business. New Jersey canna, C-A-N-N-A, business.com. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for making hey, me have to spell. Hey, it's 7.58, 58 minutes after 7 o'clock. Coming to you live. <laughs> Thank you for making me have to spell that for my email every time I use it. <laughs> yeah, isn't it annoying? Yeah, it's very annoying. We're going to have to figure that out someday. Um, so, yeah, so we also have monthly networking events. Please come out. People always ask me how to get involved in the industry. That's a great way. Yeah. Uh, we'll have a hemp and CBD workshop coming up. So lots of good stuff. Follow NJCBA on a... Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're, we're everywhere. We are everywhere. All right. I think we have a TikTok account coming up. Really? I don't know. We should. I'm going to be dancing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, Scott, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Trailblazing with Tara Masu. Trailblazers, if you could take one moment and go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and rate and leave a review, it really helps other cannabis supporters find us, and it would mean the world to me. We have new episodes every week, so make sure you're subscribed so you're always getting the latest trailblazing content. I would love to connect, and you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter as Blazin Bakery. That's B-L-A-Z-I-N Bakery. Check out BlazinBakery.com for awesome cannabis products, including our new CBD pet line, Blazin Barkery, a company I founded with my dog, Diablo. As always, my name is Tara Masu. Love you all and keep on trailblazing.